Not had enough of me yet? Well, good news. You can now listen to William Hill's Upfront with Simon Jordan podcast right here. The series, hosted by me, gives you a front row seat to big name interviews discussing their career successes and failures. Sit back and enjoy. I think the last 18 months have kind of shook the world. As I told you in Qatar, it's, it's very emotional, very, very emotional. And by the very nature of your passport, you were banned from Wimbledon last year. You know, your brain doesn't really know if it's life or death, but it's, it, in reality, it's like, oh, it's just a tennis match, right? Has I ever felt like the occasion is too big for me? No, I was very lonely. It's, lo- it's very lonely at the top. This is Upfront with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views who think they can stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way. And more importantly, so might you. Joining me in today's episode, a world number one at the age of 22, a two-time Grand Slam winner with a fierce backhand competing on the biggest stages in the US, Australia, France, and here at Wimbledon. But now, in the way of tensions as the political and sporting worlds intertwine. Victoria Azarenka, welcome to Upfront. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Listen, two-time Grand Slam winner, three Grand Slam finals, Grand Slam semifinals, sixth, allegedly the sixth highest earning women tennis player from court Mm. uh, revenues. Not bad from a young lady from Belarus, from Minsk in Belarus. Yeah, I'm I'm never, I'm always quite surprised by statistics when somebody like read out my bio or or what I've done because I feel like I'm still kind of living in the moment and Mm -hmm. I have a hard time to reflect on what I've done. And it's it's always been like kind of mentality of, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next goal? And so I have a hard time to just like look back and I guess appreciate now still the everything that has happened and especially the journey where I came from. What makes a Victoria Azarenka? What was the journey that you went on from from being a young girl in Belarus in a country that's got nine million people that doesn't have a history of producing a little bit more. There's a few more Belarusian tennis players now, but you were the you broke the seal, didn't you, to some extent, by winning the first, being the first one to win a Grand Slam. You know, I wonder, like, how did I get here? Like, how how many things had to align for me to become a tennis player? I feel like it, it had to be a destiny for all the things to align. My family never knew tennis. They did they, they, not? they didn't know what tennis is. Right. Uh, nobody ever played. It was so non-traditional uh my mom started working in the tennis center okay and i just i started school and i would go from school to see my mom was very close to my mom right and i wouldn't let her work so she she gave me a racket and a and she took me to this like little gymnasium and and also my mom had nothing to do with tennis she was just working like as an administrative Mm job And I went to just, you know, distract myself. There was no iPhones. There was none of those things. And one of the coaches saw me and uh, she asked me if I wanted to join the group. They were coming with the group. And I said, no, I'm scared. And I run away. And the reason why I want to say that is was I was very dependent kid who had, was, had a lot of fear. Right. And that... Fear of what? 
fear of just, you know, I, 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 of unknown. Do I fit in here? Do I don't fit in here? And I started and I loved it so much what age right was away. This? I was seven years old. Seven, right. And my first coach really taught me the love of the game, like really to to play and have fun. How did you get a coach? If you're if you're if you're coming from a background where there isn't inordinate amounts of wealth that can be able to provide that sort of facility, how does one get a coach at seven years of age in Belarus? He wasn't my coach. He was a coach of a group. We were forty kids in the room, like probably the <laughs> a bit bigger than than this whole studio. And a year after, it was 20 kids. And we would go on the court like once every, you know, three days. And we would play and you hit one shot and you go back of the line and you wait. So I didn't really have so much um, option, but I had a wall and the wall was free hitting partner. It was uh, something that I've played and I studied and I dreamed that that was my like safe space. Right. I really, I didn't know nothing about visualization at that point. Okay. But I imagined myself playing in Wimbledon. I imagined myself playing in French Open, Australian Open, that I would play against Steffi Graf on mm. Monica Sellish, you know. And those were like real, I remember those dreams. I would create like a court. I would paint in our little apartment. Right. Um, we had a carpet that looked like kind of like, the service line and the baseline i would play with a soft ball against the walls so it that's what i'm saying it was like a lot of things were destiny and i didn't when i was a kid i didn't think i'm going to be a professional tennis player it's going to be my job i was doing music i was doing other sports i was going to school but it was something that i really loved doing and um, i started to compete when i was nine i think eight nine i won my first trophy was a big pink elephant (laughs) it was just like a stuffy and from there i heard a lot of no's like i had people who my coach my first coach really believed in me my mom worked three jobs two jobs my dad worked three jobs to you know try to support you uh, support me in a way but i was pretty lucky we had a pretty good system with an with a center where I was able to join groups. I couldn't really have um, individual lessons, right. um, only some that my mom could afford. She would uh, sew my clothes and uh, right. will, you know, some people would help out with like some shoes and some rackets where I got a lot of hand downs mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid. And I was very grateful for me, it was, it was incredible. And um, so the journey was was very tough. I saw how hard my parents worked to to be able to give me that opportunity, which also kind of put a lot of pressure mm. when I was a kid to Did win. Did you feel that? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I, I because my mom was was very tough with me, and I felt that tough uh, in what way? She kind of. Um, she was getting so sad when I would lose, right? That it didn't. I didn't want to disappoint her, you know, by losing. And I feel actually feel kind of like I still carry that that guilt a bit right. when I when I when I lose because it happened for quite a long long time. And so when I was competing, I remember I I was so scared to lose 
that right. it made me not want to lose at any time. Like I needed to find a way how not to lose. Some people, I think, got motivated, but they just hated losing. I was afraid to lose, to disappoint in a way my mom and everything that my parents kind of worked for me. Like I didn't want it to kind of like go to waste. So I-, I So you played. felt that pressure, that yeah. pressure of- expectation or disappointment yeah. on not delivering on the endeavors that they were putting into you to give you an opportunity they never pushed me like i they never you know i've i've met a lot of parents while while i grew up and kids whose parents saw them as a way out yeah that's what i was going to ask you and i never had that with my parents like right. they really they really genuinely always wanted me to be just the best as yeah. I could be. So I think they saw that potential in me and they wanted it for me, not for them. Like, oh, I want to fulfill my yeah. my dreams and yeah. goals. So I always, I never felt that They pressure. weren't living vicariously for you? No, no never. No. And I, and I re I'm really grateful for that for yeah. my parents, but they really wanted me to have a better life. And it was, and it was a chance for me to have right. a better life. What was the, the scene in Belarus? I mean, you talked a moment ago about a potential way out. I mean, what a way out of what? In, I mean, I don't know what the economy is like in Belarus, or I don't know what the society mm. is like. But I'm, but by the very nature of that suggestion, it tells me that there is a, a way through into a better life. A uh, better life, first of all, to be able to travel and see the world. Yeah. That was one, that was one of the things. We lived nine people in a two-bedroom apartment okay. uh, at one point. So there was, I never thought about the financial aspect, but for me it was, I can make a name for myself. I can travel the world. I can see the world. I never thought, okay, I want to be rich, you know, right. like I want to play tennis and that's, I'm going to be wealthy. And I, I really don't think that was ever my parents thought. When I see things that my mom allowed me to do, I was 10 years old when I went by myself to United States. Yeah. Somebody met me, you know, yeah, there. I, saw that, yeah. I would never do that with my son. Like, I would never really? let him. No, absolutely not. By himself to go somewhere no I, I i mean i want him to be independent but i'll be somewhere you know just to make sure everything is so what do you okay. think that then well i think the world changed yeah like the world changed it doesn't to me it doesn't feel as safe as it was before right since i became a mom like i feel very very cautious i've, I've always been a very cautious person from where where i grew up but that made me like realize, oh, wow, my mom was so brave. 14, I left home. I was, you know, living in another country by myself. I had to learn the language. Uh, at 15, I left to the States to live with a family, a family of a professional hockey player. His name was Nikolai Habibul and his daughter was playing tennis. They came to Belarus and my mom was just helping them out because his wife is Belarusian. She helped them out with courts, with coaching, and um, they saw me and they're like, oh, why don't you, you know, come, we, we can take care of you and give you support. And they really did. They helped me out. I moved to Arizona when I was 15 years old. I lived with them and um, they took care of me. And then I, I basically in about two years, a little bit less, I was already fully on a professional tour. I was six, 16 16, I really started to play. You talked uh, earlier on, Victoria, about feeling pressure. I think it's remarkable to get to being number one in your sport 
Is it is pressure something that you've always been able to embrace? Because there's been various instances in your career where there's mm. been challenges for you. Oh yeah. Um, I personally believe that pressure is something you put on yourself and something that you have to embrace at times. Mm. What's your view on embracing pressure? I mean, I guess winning Grand Slams and becoming number one means that you're capable of coping with pressure. But yeah. for you as an individual, how does it manifest itself and how do you react to it? I mean, pressure comes from, to me, I think from expectation. An yeah. expectation you put of on yourself. yourself. Or others of you? Both, yeah. both. I, I think that for me personally, nobody can put more pressure than I can put on myself. Yeah, I agree. And I've dealt with, you know, difficult life situations in, uh, that really are scary and like life, life and death situation. So on the court, it doesn't feel any different. You know, your brain doesn't really know if it's life or death, mm -hmm. but it's it, in reality, it's like, oh, it's just a tennis match, yeah. right? But you can't really tell the difference. And to me, I feel like I strive under pressure. Like that's you what thrive, makes yeah. it yeah. exciting. When it's easy, it's boring, you know? So I like to create probably challenges also for myself to to achieve them. I think to that's overcome. what, yeah. yeah, to overcome, that's what drives me. That's what makes it exciting. And um, competition itself, like I, I never, I, I don't like athletes' life. Don't, you don't like it? No, I don't no. like fame. Right. I, I really I, I I really don't like that. I when I What do you not like about point, it? You like to get a nice table in a restaurant if you want to. I don't I don't mind waiting. Yeah. I live a very quite simple I'm I have a nice house, I have yeah. a nice car, I'm yeah. not gonna say I live simple, yeah. simple life. But I don't need too many things in life. I I like to live very, very normal life. I Nothing makes me happier than take my son for a walk and go with our dog or ride scooters or, or stuff. Like this is really, those things those make the me the most yeah. happy. Well, everything changes when you have children. Your outlook changes, the, yeah. your viewpoint on the world changes because you become not the most important person in the room. Never, your child never does. anymore. Absolutely. Never. <laughs> yeah. you, you go, you move to America at 15, you're over in Arizona. Seven years later, you're the first Belarusian to win a Grand Slam. Yeah. How does that change your life and your mindset? Well, I almost quit tennis a year before that. So in 2011, Why? I felt a lot of pressure. You know, I've always been very talented. I was probably one of the best juniors there ever was. I won five Grand Slams in one year yeah. with two singles, three doubles. And that transition from almost being invincible in juniors to go to a professional sport was not easy because I I was losing more and there were girls weren't gonna give up after you know you have a lead they would play until every last point so I had some of those you know very very tough losses and then I started to 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 play better I started to have good results top 30 top 10 and the next goal was okay top five top one winning grand slam and they weren't happening so I was like okay maybe I'm not good enough maybe I, that's not my dream is not going to be achieved I always had outside interest in doing something else you know I wanted maybe to study to 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 do something else and i told my mom i think i'm i'm just gonna be i think i'm just gonna be done 
I want to do something else. It's I, I'm, I'm not having fun. I'm not enjoying. And she said, what are you going to do? So I don't know. I'm going to study. She laughed in my face. She's like, you're going to get bored in one week. So just kind of take take your time. Come home. I came home. I remember I was, I partied with my friends for three days. I didn't sleep. My mom came to my apartment. She was like, oh, my God. She would start crying. And then I went to see my grandma. And my grandma is just, you know, a light of positivity. She had, you know, she went through World War II, through yeah. hunger, through, and she has this incredible optimism all the time. She always says, it can it can always be worse. It can always be worse, you know? So we had this conversation. Um, it wasn't necessarily something she said, but she's like, how interesting is that you get to do for your job, something that you really love. Yeah. And I was like, get some context. Yeah. Hmm, that's really true. You know, like it's, it's, it was like, like a, it was a simple thing, but it was just like a big reminder. And I was like, okay, you know what? I do love that. It's just, you get so lost in the process sometimes and, you know, in the, in the big picture that you forget the little steps, why you started to play, why are you playing? And I remember I went to, Indian Wells in Miami, and I, I think I won in Miami, and I just came to Australia, and I felt just really good. Yeah. I was on the court. It wasn't like okay, every day is great, and you know, it's it's the journey and the tournament. It's never one way. It doesn't go up. It's like that. But I, I remember I played this my semifinal match, and against Kim Kleisters, and I won the first set. I lost the second set. And I was like, I have to believe in myself. Like, I really, I, I, I can't win. Like, I can't win. Why not? Are you having this conversation with yourself yes, in I'm your have, mind? In my mind. As it's you're like, in between breaks. It's so hot out. Like, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's like 40 degrees. I'm playing against this player who is defending. I think she was defending champion. Right. Uh, yeah. And somebody that I've actually never beaten before. I really won that match on self-belief. Like, right. that third set was on self-belief. And in the final, I played Sherpa. I was like, there is no way I'm losing that match. It's not going to happen. I'm going to win this match. And I remember I started the match. I was 2-0 down. But I was like, no, that's that's going to be my day. Today is going to be my day. And I switched into the gear, and I just never looked back. Do you? I mean, I'm going to sort of ask a contradictory question. But does have you suffered um, from a lot of self self doubt and anxiety through? Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like you have. Oh, but yeah, you're going to tell me now that you have. Of course, of yeah. course. How, how have you managed to overcome that? I think I have this ability to pick myself up, no matter how how um, tough the situation is. Right. Is just never giving up. Like no matter what. Like no matter how much down I feel, and I can be close. Okay, I'm done. I don't want to do it. I don't. But it's a blessing and a curse. It got me to the point where I am, and it also hurt me because sometimes you just need to like let go, ease off, let go, mm. and give yourself a break. And I just won't stop, and I will push, push, push. So I think with years, it's about learning when to use it as a web, as a weapon, and when to kind of put the weapon down. And I didn't answer your question about how it changed my life. It made my life 
great in one way. I had so many people around me who wished well. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. yeah. Wished well and were Your my friends. That comes, yeah. And also, like, I just felt at the same time very, very lonely. I was very lonely. It's, lo it's very lonely at the top. In what way do you feel lonely? Because there's a constant expectation for you to maintain that standard or because you're the only one that's there? People can't relate to that. Not necessarily. I, I felt like I have, and I had uh, my friends who are, since I'm a kid, yep. few friends that, and I've met a lot of great people in my life. But at that moment, you have so many people who are your friends, yep. but, but really not. And why I'm saying I felt lonely is because it felt like, somebody always wanted something from me mm -hmm. and wanted me to do something mm -hmm. and not many people ask what i want so in that way i felt like lonely it had to do i had to i had to go and i had to do this and i had to do this and i had to do this and for that and for this and for that and i remember that i didn't stop and enjoy what i have achieved and really like taking But that's the nature of ambition in. though, isn't it? Because I was going to ask you about people around you. Yeah. Because I found when I was 30, I sold my business. I made a couple of hundred million dollars, right? 150 odd million dollars. And I didn't think I changed very much. Mm -hmm. I thought my friends changed and people that I knew and had known for some time had changed their outlook and disposition. And all of a sudden, this person that they thought at times could be a bit of a wally English expression for being a bit of a twit, right? Was <laughs> um, someone that had to, everyone had to bow to and and have reverence towards. Did mm -hmm. you did you sense any of that, or is that just me and my experiences? Well, um, in that particular moment, I had a team. My coach at that time, he was, I mean, not not the greatest person. I will say, in my best interest, um, kind of isolated me a little bit. You know, to to be able to. Control you. Control you yeah. and to... Manipulate. Manipulate in a way, yes, absolutely. But also to have one voice. The less voices possible that coming, it has to be, had, to be, had to be more his. In my opinion, the idea of a coach is to make you the more independent that you don't need the coach to teach you things that you don't need to rely on the coach. So that's how I, I see it being done. Okay, I give you things that you feel like you don't really need me. You you know what you're doing. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who yeah. make you feel like you can't do anything without them. Yeah. It's all them. Yeah. And that's where I, I feel like the danger of having that one voice becomes counterproductive yeah. over time it, it might it might work for a period of time but it happens with a lot of very talented people where i feel like they can win without that yeah you know and i feel the same way uh with me so for that reason i felt like it wasn't it wasn't great because i wasn't aware of everything that was happening around me um that's why i felt also what I was saying, you know, in a way lonely. I when did you realize, I mean, talking about the coach without wanting to make it overly controversial, you don't have to be specific about which coach you're talking about. When did you realize 
that possibly your coach is no longer having your best interests at heart? I realized when I had a kind of a long injury because what I was saying, like I had to go play here when I didn't want to. Nobody asked me, do I want to play? Oh no, you have to play here to, you know, for coaches, for some coach still now, because you get bonus, you know, if you play a tournament, mm -hmm. they get bonus, they get paid. So you have to play here, you have to play here. And you're like, no, I just want to take a break. Like I'm not there. So I started to having some of these injuries because it was like just a lot of like, if I don't play, I feel guilty, you know? And then like, it's like, it's right. always, it, it was making it always my fault. Yeah. Like it wasn't somebody else's fault. It was always my fault. And I started to have these injuries and I, um, then I had a, like a kind of a longer injury and I realized like, oh my God, like I, I feel depressed. I feel like really down. I, you know, I don't want to do anything. I feel sad. And I started to do like work with a psychologist and stuff. And I started to realize that a lot of things that I was do was doing weren't really coming from me. Right. It so was coming from somebody else. Yeah. So I took about almost two two and a half months I lived in Paris by myself and I went you know I just booked like hotel apartment and I would go out meet different people and I experienced Paris where I started to like Paris for the first time when I was in the French Open I just would go to like a local bakery and I would try to speak French and I would meet some boulangerie. people friends yeah boulangerie and um I started to get like my own voice back. I started to get, no, I don't want that. How old were you then? I was, it was 2000, end of 2014, so 25. Mm. And interesting thing when that happened, when you're dealing with like narcissistic people, controlling people, is when they feel like they don't longer have control over you, they leave. Right. And that's what happened. Right. And... I just, I remember that moment when uh, he asked me some to do like something and I was like, you know, actually I think, no, I think I would, I would rather do that. And it's like literally like a month and a half later, he disappeared. Yeah. And I was sad at first, yeah. but then I was like, oh, thank you. Actually, yeah, you've done my Yeah, favorite. it was, it was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I could see that happen to other people after. And I was like, oh, lesson learned. Not the best lesson, uh, not not the most comfortable lesson, but a lesson, but learned. a very yeah. good lesson learned. I don't want to make everything about money, but it goes with the territory. And you've got this moniker of being listed as the sixth highest prize-winning uh, female tennis star, earning tens of millions of dollars. And by the way, fantastic! I think that anyone that achieves things, the, being good at something, comes with rewards, and and that's a fantastic thing. But money changes people do you think it's in any shape or form changed you uh, i would like to think no um, did it take away any of the burning ambition because i would imagine listening to you talk about your your character to get to number one in a sport like tennis is a remarkable achievement to be number one for 51 weeks during that period of time to be in five slams to be at that level requires immense mental fortitude and single-mindedness and absolute focus, doesn't it? Yeah. And sometimes, and in business, I had that for a period of time, but sometimes money can take that edge away. It can, it can mean that sometimes you don't have the same burning 
desire, passions, because possibly you don't need to have to. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, does that, has that played into your narrative at any particular time? Um, I think it can, but also if money in the beginning is your driving force, yeah. you know, once it's your driving force, then it's like when you, when you have that, you're like, okay. What else? Yeah, what else? But yeah. also like somebody asked me, well, I, was, I think I was 14, no, 15 years old. It's like, how much money do you want to make? I was like, oh my God, if I make $10 million, that's it. Like, that's going to be. Then I made that money and then I was like, can I want more? (laughs) So clearly I'm not playing right now for money. No. It's not my motivation. And and it hasn't been then. But it is, of course, it's it's my way of living. It's it's a byproduct of success, isn't it? Of course. But it's never been... That's never been a motivation for me. It's um, I think if money was my motivation, I would have been doing a lot more commercial things, and I don't want to say sell, sell my soul, but I would do a lot more things that I just don't want to take away my freedom, my freedom and things that I want to do. I just, you know, I I play tennis. I I am a mom. I do a lot of other things. But as I said, nothing makes me happier than just going outside and watching my my kid play soccer, you know, like really simple things. And and I'm honestly, I am so grateful that that's the case. Do you, um, I'm going to take you into a space which is prevalent to us in this country at this moment in time and ask you about one of our players and what your take on the challenges that she appears to be having. Emma Redekanu Mm -hmm. was a was a breakout in a lot of people's minds because obviously in this country, whilst tennis is a massive sport, it becomes very massive in June and July because of Wimbledon. Um, And she's obviously had this remarkable achievement in terms of winning the US Open. Specifically remarkable because it doesn't seem that British tennis players win very much. And for her to have won, and I think also in the manner that she won, do you believe that she will win another Grand Slam? Because there's a lot of doubt now about what journey she's on and where she's going and the challenges that she's having. You will probably not like my answer, but I hate to predict those, <laughs> those things. And I really don't like people who talk about it because you don't know. No. Nobody knows. It's like those draw predictions. And, you know, I'm like, I, every time I look at it, it's like, why, why do people do that? You're never right. Pretty much never right. For me, it's like, I've told you that story when we met, that uh, when I met Emma... Uh, on the WhatsApp yep. because her agent at the time reached out to my agent and said, there's this young girl who wants to, uh, who wanted to, you know, ask you for some advice and talk to you. And I said, of course, no problem. It's COVID time. And we talked for, I think about an hour and she was telling me uh, at that time she was having some injuries and she's, you know, looking forward to come to the tour and I don't remember what I said, but we talked and it was great. And uh, I remember she sent me an email after that. And then 2021 Wimbledon and I hear this name, Raducanu, Emma, Emma. And I was like, wait, hold on. Let me look back in my email. And I see that. Oh, I was like, oh, my God, that was that was the, that was the, her. The, that was her. Yeah. And it was really cool. And then she won the US Open. Yeah. What I've noticed at that time is like everybody were 
grabbing onto her like she's their friend and mm -hmm. she's their, you know, like somebody. I was like, you probably didn't know her like a month mm -hmm. ago. Nobody knew her a month ago. But I was like, we're so, so happy. It felt so I guess people were proud, like in in, of in, in England, were really of proud of that. But it just felt like not kind of real, you know. Did in you? A way. I mean, McEnroe. I mean, I'm a big fan of John McEnroe's commentary. I was a big fan of him as a player yeah. and a big fan of his commentary. But he was very harsh about her in that Wimbledon that preceded her U.S. Open win, where he talked about her struggling. I mean, he got made to look a fool later on because she wins the next slam. Yeah. But you know, he talked about that the occasion was too much for her. Was that? Do you think that was wrong for someone of John's position to have said about another tennis player, or is it just fair comment? I think it's it's neither because you have no idea how the person feels. Yeah, I don't like to comment on what's happening with our people because I have no idea. Unless they told me how they feel, I have no reason to judge. But you'll be able to see similarities. I mean, you're walking the same walk that, or you've walked the walk that she's walked. And you've probably, without necessarily understanding the psyche of an individual, because she's a, she's unique in her own thinking, you'll, you'll be able to see things and understand things that the average journalist or fan wouldn't really understand well i will say like has has i ever felt like the occasion is too big for me mm. no it it didn't because the bigger occasion for me even though i'm scared because i i'm scared on a lot of occasions of play i'm nervous but you've had a I'm panic anxious. attack in the middle of a game though haven't you i've had a few oh i've had a few and um the thing about this is that the bigger the occasion was for me to go out and play, the more exciting it was in the same time, even though I was scared. Like one thing about me that when we talk about pressure is that no matter how scared I am, a lot of people call me fearless, which is, mm. you know, fearless. I, I am I am fearful of a lot of things. But what I what how I define my fearlessness is that no matter how scared I am, you're gonna overcome it. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go for it. So I can that never happened that never happened to me. But when I hear people and they give their opinions and they maybe have not been in those situations, I love John McEnroe too. Yeah. But there was no social media when when he was on tour no. and there would be a lot of I opinions think there would be him. a lot of yeah. opinions well, there was on a lot, a lot of, of opinions things. On him, yeah. <laughs> that that has that has happened and that's why i i just i try not to judge people for me when emma won us open that feeling of like everybody were like so ecstatic and so ha happy now that she's down everybody's like on top of her yeah. i mean those waves are crazy and i remember I, I emailed her and i said if you ever need advice and you're prepared for the new wave coming she was very nice and replied to me. She should do. When you're in the moment, you don't realize how big, how big. I don't think she realized how big she became, mm. like how huge the moment was and how everybody wanted to be a part of I that. I was quite, as much as it's in my damn business, I was quite cross with what happened to her post the US Open because my default reaction when I was talking in the media, I have a great love of tennis. Obviously, a great love of football and I have a great love of boxing. So I always get quite emotionally invested and I try to be objective and pragmatic in my thinking. 
I hated seeing her at the Met Ball. I hated seeing her at all these different functions. And it felt to me like everybody that was going to sink their claws into her were there straight away. You're at the beginning of your journey and all of this can come and all of this distractions because it's not going to help your tennis game. It's not going to help you keep focused. It's going to get everybody getting a piece of your soul and getting into your head and distracting you from the core propositions. And two years later, we see this prestigious talent, whether she can go on and win another, uh, other slams or big tournaments, will be, as you say, to be seen, because she may get injuries that she can never overcome. She seems to be getting a lot of injuries at this moment in time. But she's now quoting and saying, sometimes I think to myself, I wish I'd never won the US Open. I wish yeah, that didn't that's, happen. That's, that's kind of sad. That's a good quote, I think. Sad for, though, isn't it? It is sad, but I think it's a very momentarily, yeah. a very momentarily feeling because if you ask her, okay, we'll take that away and you redo it again, I, I'm not sure she will agree with that. From what I can observe, is you need to have very, very, from my experience, you need to have a very, very small circle. Yeah. And a solid one. Very, very solid one mm. that really has your best interest. And tells you the truth. Very, very, yeah, tr truth mm. is important. That's why, that's one thing that I would hope everybody who I work with, I said, mm. don't, no bullshit, yeah. please. Like, I don't, I, I can you deal don't, with the don't truth. tell me what I want to hear because I hate that. I hate hypocrisy and I, and I hate, I hate to, to face people. Mm. A lot of sports people don't know. They like a lot of people to tell them precisely what they want to hear. Yeah, I've yeah. heard that. Yeah, I've heard I don't that. think that's good for the character. I don't think that builds winners. No. I don't think that builds soul. I think yeah. having people around you that are lick spittles and, and sycophants that are basically puffing smoke up your ass to make sure that they exist in your world yeah. doesn't help you in a longer game. Yeah. I, I want to. I feel like guys have more of those than possibly. girls. Yeah, pos girls. possibly. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, possibly. I want to talk to you about something that we spoke about in Qatar, um, and something that was quite challenging for you at the time. And I think you had quite strong views on it. And obviously, everyone has strong views on this situation now because it's something that's affecting the world. You, as a Belarusian. Um, got stopped from playing at Wimbledon. Yeah. What has the tour been like for the last 12 to 18 months as a Belarusian? I think the last 18 months have kind of shook the world. I think myself, you know, I experienced that quite quite heavily. I, I cannot say uh, more heavily than any Ukrainian players because, you know, my uh, there's no bombs flying mm. into into my house um i am very as i told you <laughs> in qatar it's it's very emotional very very emotional thing for me um i feel really sad i feel really bad for for so many innocent people who are struggling i've you know my actually not many people know that my dad's my dad's side i am also have half of my side is Ukrainian. Right. My name is not Azarenka, it's Azarenko, okay. which is actually a Ukrainian name right. as well. But, and I have so many friends in Ukraine, have family in Belarus. I know so many people in Russia. So I've never, I want to speak about Belarusian people. I've ne I never felt much of difference when I grew up because as I always used to go to these tournaments when I was a kid we would go to to Ukraine by train there and back I've met you know 
many, many, many players. And it never felt like we are too different. Different countries, it, yeah. No, it yeah. really, it didn't, it didn't feel like that ever to me. We, they have their own language. We have our own language, you know, s slight differences in, but no, I, I couldn't really feel like there was any dif difference. Even when I went on tour, Oh, and I would see, you know, Ukrainian players, Russian players, Belarusian players. We kind of all spoke. It's, it's right. never been. And this, you know, this war just divided that, like, divided nations so much. And I can understand why. Of course. I, but, as a, but as a sports star, it's being visited the sins of other people's choices. You, you know, it's an immutable scenario for you you were born with a belarusian passport mm -hmm. you live in america you've lived in america for a very long period of time um and by the very nature of your passport you were banned from wimbledon last year how did you feel about that situation i was very clear from the beginning and i'm very very clear for the last actually 18 months for me what's important is about helping people in the difficult situation and what can a person and organization can do to help people in need. Me, myself, I'm one person and I don't need to scream and shout on how many things I've done since this last 18 months yeah. to people to help because that was always my objective is who can I help? How can I help? But you situation? were unhappy about Wimbledon starts though, weren't you? Well, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, okay, that was a good move. Yeah. I'm not sure it achieved anything. Maybe some people think otherwise. I thought that there were better situations, how to handle that, how to handle that. And I was on part of being proposing those. I thought that donating prize money to uh, humanitarian aid, which I said that I would, right. and I've got seven players, top players to agree to, to, to donate that. I think that would have been a lot more helpful it would have show unity that people do want to help and that's what that's what was what was important for me from the beginning my first reaction was obviously the nature of the war was very challenging or the invasion was very challenging and then i moved into the camp of thinking the idea of athletes being banned because of their part we were getting into ridiculous situations in this country where tchaikovsky music wasn't being allowed to be played in philharmonic halls and and I was and, and because it was of russian origin you know I was start I was talking to people saying well so you're going to stop drinking bloody vodka then are you because Nate, vodka's been produced in russia could you in any shape or form relate or appreciate the notion that the uk government because it was the uk government that put pressure on wimbledon mm -hmm. didn't like the image of a potential um situation where a russian Medvedev on the men's side, possibly someone like you on the on the women's side, winning the tournament could have been utilized by people like Putin as some sort of propaganda machine. I mean, is this year any different? different? Any different? Yeah. That's kind of the the point. And I think that there are a few options that like I suggested, other players suggested is not to give the opportunity for propaganda is mm -hmm. not to do media, not to do maybe a ceremony. We wanted to play. We just want to play. We want to do our job. We we were, you know, we've been doing it our whole lives. 
And to be quite frank, I don't understand two things. I don't understand two things. How an individual athlete who playing an individual sports, individual events are representing their country yeah, I agree. in one way. Yeah, I agree. And the second thing I don't understand before the invasion, before the war, this was all celebrated. Like mm. you put your flag everywhere on TV, it's on yeah. the big screen, you know, everywhere they would just put your flags. Yeah. You didn't ask for it. Nobody asked for it. You play at Wimbledon, it's because you've been good enough to play there. It's not because you're Belarusian. Yeah. So it's almost academic. You, you have and to qualify. And it yeah. becomes a construct of the media by the very nature of putting your flag up there and yeah. suggesting that Victoria Azarenka is a Belarusian player. That's almost academic. Victoria Azarenka is a tennis player that's qualified to play for Wimbledon. Yeah. And the country that she comes from is almost irrelevant. But there is no accountability for people who've been pushing, you know, flags, where are you from and et cetera, before this happened. But when it became, you know, this difficult situation, now it's a problem. Yeah. So I don't understand why in, in individual um, events, there is no, there's nothing I can sit, sit here and say that people will like, you know? No. Somebody will say this is, what you're saying is good. Somebody say this is bad and et cetera. But what's important and what I've always been consistent with is that I, as a human being, want to help people are, who are in need. And that's the most I can do. You made, um, you made a statement on Twitter. I'm devastated by the actions that have taken place over the last several days against and in Ukraine. It's heartbreaking to see how many innocent people have been affected and continue to be affected by such violence. Um, did you feel pressure to put that statement out? Uh, I mean, I I feel like every public person has the pressure to say something. Yeah. It's not just me particularly. It's just the world that we live in. I feel like for some reason, those those things count more than the actual help that you're trying to do behind the scenes or like genuinely. And that's a bit to me sad because some people ask for big statements that to me, in my opinion, yeah. are a bit empty mm. rather than, I feel like a small action, if it can help one person is way bigger than some of those things. So did I feel pressured? Like somebody told me that I need to say something? No. Well, whatever you say, it won't be enough for someone. Yes. It's like having to, you know, we live in a society where you have to apologize. I mean, whatever you do, if you're a politician or if you're in life, you yeah. have to apologize. And when you give an apology, it won't be good enough for somebody. And even if you wrote it in blood, some people would still suggest yeah. that it's not good enough. Do you think questions around the war and subjects like that should be banned from tennis press conferences going forward? I think if the tennis journalists ask them and they don't really cover politics and mm. stuff, it's kind of like a bit, not weird, but... Well, they're there to cover sports. You know? They're there to cover... On one hand, they're suggesting that if people like Putin have Belarusians or Russians playing in a competition, they're leveraging it. On the next hand, 
they're the ones that are bringing it up when they're covering sport. And I find that absolutely hypocritical. Despite the stuff I do in the media, Victoria, I have sometimes a great disdain for the irresponsibility of the media and the nature of just creating content and and, and sensationalised headlines with no real feeling or substance behind it as long as it fills television space and content in newspapers. It's... Um... I've used it one time, I think, with a with one journalist who, who is on tennis tennis tour, and I said that he all he wants to do is clickbait, you yeah. Know? And he said that's not how you use this phrase, and I was like, whatever. Um, well, he knew what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> of course, he knows what I meant. He, never, he doesn't come to any of my press conferences anymore. <laughs> I always respect the journalist, and I think it's. It's an incredible job, but there's a lot of really bad journalists. Yeah, I agree. I listen to journalists sometimes and their motivations to, to, to be able to treat, achieve something from a conversation, which is solely for their motivation. Yeah. But when you say bad journalist, what represents a bad journalist in your mind? The one who do like no research, no background. Right. They don't really investigate the story. They just... And some of them like to just make it about themselves. Yeah. You know, like you're not. I oh, feel you've done like... the Pierce Morgan show, have you? <laughs> Different discussion. <laughs> You'll probably never invite me. To this <laughs> <way>. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's about. Um, and I think the bedrooms is when they come with already a pre written piece before, you know, like. The way they uh, the yeah, way they made the question, their mind up. Yeah, yeah. They made it's like well, I think you already made your mind up. Like you don't ask me to know my opinion yeah. or what really is about. It's more about okay, I wanna, I know what I wanna write. I just need a quote from yeah. you. What did you think of Naomi Osaka's reaction when she complained about the press? Yeah, I was seeing her on the front page of magazines, yeah. and yet she was unable to cope with the media side of things. Did you when you when you watched her having Troubles because you've played her in big finals and and, mm. and got beaten U.S. Open by, didn't yeah. you? Did you feel any empathy for her? Did you, along the lines of journalists overreaching or not actually being motivated by the right agendas? Well, I, of course, I emphasize with her because you never want to see you know um, your colleague in such distress. Did you think there was any hypocrisy though? Because me being with my view, and and yours will be far more prevalent, but I'm going to say it and then you can mm. pull it to pieces. I couldn't understand. I think it's priced in. The top players are rewarded very well. And I know that money doesn't excuse people's behavior, but in some ways it enables it to be softened slightly because you'll always be able to walk out of a room and get on with the rest of your life economically. Um, it's part of the territory for an entertainment business. And when you're not wanting to talk to the media because you don't like their questioning after losing a game or whatever her issue was at the time, yet you're doing interviews or being on the front page of front page of magazines or endorsing products left, right and centre, I felt that was steeped in hypocrisy. On one hand, you don't like the media, you don't want them. On the other hand, you recognise the value of them mm -hmm. and you get remunerated by them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I agree with that part because you are made... Media is the... Um, Necessary evil to serve a greater good. Well, I will say that without the... Like, I mean, if we talk about Naomi, media made her also... I mean, her mm -hmm. results made her, her who, he yeah, is, yeah. And uh, who she is on the yeah. tennis court. Yeah. 
the other part of the endorsements and uh, uh, branding was done by media. It was PR. You know, it's it's strategic, and it's it's all it's all uh, credit to them. Yeah. They made her an incredible um, brand. But as you say, it's it's gonna come both ways. Yeah. It's gonna come both ways, and dealing with let's say bad journalism or targeting journalism. I I I call it more like targeting journalism. It's part of it. But for example, when we play on the court, right? And somebody say, well, you get paid a lot of money for it. And then somebody in the crowd can just insult you Mm -hmm. or wish death on your family online. Mm. Well, that's not part of the, that's That's not not part part of the the job, you know? So when, when I was a kid, I, I didn't dream about being on the magazine covers. I didn't dream about doing endorsements. That's, that's like privileges and it's what you want to do, you know? I, I I hate fashion shoots. Like I don't. It's not part of what I want to do. I wanted to be a, a an athlete. I wanted to to win trophies, and I do understand that there is responsibility comes with your platform, and uh, your recognition. And I did some mistakes, but I had to learn that media is an important part of the job. It can be difficult. But it is also what drives the business. It what helps the business. It what helps you, your name. And in the case of you know Naomi and many many players, I want to single her out. It is helpful. So you got to deal with with both sides. But honestly, to tell my opinion with the journalists, you can ask questions. What you want, you just gotta ask yeah. them with respect. Yeah. We are all human beings. We all have feelings. You know, just because somebody gets paid a lot of money doesn't mean yeah. you're le- you're yeah. more or less human being. Did you deliberately not tell your PR and management team you weren't coming here today? Yeah, I just you know they Why? will they'll find. I don't know. I just oh God, we don't kind of we we've met in 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 at the World Cup yeah. and we had a really nice chat yeah. you and I yeah. and uh, I told you a little bit about things that I kind of want to do yeah. further in life. And when you asked me about the podcast, I was like, that's going to be a great idea. Mm. I was like, I'll just, you know, I'll just do it. I, I love watching your show. We had a nice chat. I was like, that's going to be a great idea. And I just thought that you had some very strong things and some strong views. And we discussed certain things that weren't just about sport. And obviously, um, after helping you play paddle. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm going to need you to do something for me at the end of this show, which is talk to the camera and address a particular individual that thinks that he can challenge me at panel. And I'll tell you about that later on in the show. Um, three more questions for you. Which one female and one male player has made the greatest impact on the sport of tennis? And who do you think holds the greatest legacy? Ooh, the goat The goat debate. The goat debate. <laughs> I hate that one. Um, I will say for me... Female is Serena. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Serena and Venus both. They changed the game to become more powerful, mm. more athletic, more like just you know they they both like Serena is just mentally so level of competitivity so yeah. strong like just that you know breaking every door in front of you. Um, so their legacy is very, very strong. And I mean, looking at Venus now, she's, she's here in Wimbledon Mm. and, uh, 
if you look at her matches, look at her practice, like she really loved it. She really enjoyed it. I was in the gym with her that day. I was like, why, why, why is she here? But you know, it's 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 quite incredible for me to see. Um, so I will say both them. Yes. Yeah, so and on the male, um, poof, I feel like Djokovic doesn't get the credit enough. he deserves. Yeah. He doesn't get the credit he deserves. I mean, Roger just, you know, his elegancy and Beautiful his player, yeah. incredible like talent. Like he's, I think he's the most talented from the big three. Yeah, I do too. I think Rafa, Rafa was phenomenal is just, he changed direction, didn't he? Because of the tendonitis yeah. and everything else that he suffered. He is just a fighter, like just yeah. full heart. And Novak is just, I mean, his mind, yeah. I don't i don't think any athlete I've seen, like he's, he always faces some of the criticism I think he brings on himself. He does, yeah. He just does. But you have to respect that what he believes in, he stands by. He does. He doesn't yeah. waver from it. I can agree. I can disagree with that. But as he said, but his mind to like just be so disciplined, mm -hmm. to be so, you know, just determined, single-minded, incredible. Yeah. Like really, I think he doesn't. He really doesn't doesn't get enough credit, and I'm I'm really amazed by him. Yeah, I mean, I've watched. I mean, Novak's brother Marco lives around the corner from me in Marbella. Mm -hmm. um, and I've watched Novik over the years because he used to do his uh, warm, we warm weather preparation in Marbella in December before going to the Australian. Yeah. And the level of professionalism and discipline and uh, and the very, uh, the entourage, I know the entourages can be good and bad things, but just everything about he what he did from stretching and warming up before you even hit a ball for, for an hour at a time through to the yeah. diet was just remarkable. I remember sitting with him and Boris Becker and talking about his approach to tennis and just just zeroed in, just yeah. no blink, zeroed in yeah. and utter belief in himself. Yeah, his, uh, his work ethic and his discipline, it's like I can see it's very like Eastern European. It's right. just like the the I don't know the character mm. of like and he's been painted you know a villain so many times. Some of that's his own fault because he said some silly things and got involved with some silly things. He he. But some said, of it's because he's a yeah. Mickey taker as well because he used to but, make fun of the other players. Yeah, but also this is where I can understand him, where the there's a double standard for some people. Right. And I think for him to maintain a good image, he needed to do so much more than right. Rafa and Roger. Ra okay. I mean, in my eyes, and probably in many, many people's eyes, Roger could do no wrong. Rafa could do no wrong. You know, everything about them is like, is supportive. He, he's always climbing uphill. And what I've noticed, and I might be completely wrong, I feel like, when he was younger, he wanted to be more likable. And now I feel like he just he just stopped caring. Good for him. And I think that's to me that 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 something changed with that where he's more relatable. Oh, it's more authentic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you retire, how will you want to be remembered? And have you fulfilled everything you wanted to do? Um 
have I fulfilled everything that I wanted to do? Not, not yet. I don't, I'm not sure I will get there ever. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll get there ever. I think I will have to settle with that. I gave it all that I could, and it's time to move on. What did you want to do that you haven't done? Uh, well, I want to win everything. You know, <laughs> okay. it's just like the, the sky's the limit. Yeah. I really do think that, and I think that's that's why. Um, I do everything at a hundred percent because I know what it takes. I don't know if I'm, I'm probably never going to achieve everything that I wanted no. to do, but it keeps me wanting to do that. And then outside of that, I want to be remembered that I left the sport in a better condition mm. than I came in. I do a lot behind the scenes to try to help women's sport. Um, hopefully, near future i can guide some 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 more change and progress and stuff that's one of my passions um billy jean king you know inspired a lot um of that for me that right. you know she fought for for a better future for us and i, I believe in that you got another slam in you i mean you got semi-finals of australia I mean, I hope so. Yeah. I I wouldn't be playing if I didn't mm -hmm. think that. Like, I, that's where the moment, like, if I feel like that's that's maybe out of reach, yeah, then that's going to be a time. I had this conversation about, I think it was five years ago with Roger Federer, and he was at, a, uh, at I had dinner with him in London with some some various people, and I, and he's coming back from back surgery, and I said to him, "There seems to be this tacit acceptance from you that maybe Rafa and Novak are now not." people that you can beat. And I've kind of seen this change in your attitude, this sort of acceptance of when you're losing games to these two in, in the slams. And he went, oh, really? And the first tournament he played back was the Australian Open he and won, won the, the slam. So I don't did you, doubt. Did you call him for, for a percentage? I, I sent him a text and said, <laughs> yeah, don't listen to me. I know absolutely nothing. Before we go, and we're yeah. almost done, I want you to do one thing for me. I want you to look at that camera. Yeah. And I want you to say, have you ever heard of someone called Carl Froch? Carl Froch? No. no. Not heard of you, Carl. He's a super middleweight champion of the world boxer. Oh, and the names, please. I've yeah, heard, he's laboring under the illusion, Victoria, that he can beat me at paddle. Okay. Uh, I what I want you to do is tell him, being my paddle partner in Qatar, there's very little chance of that. Okay, Carl, I'm not sure you have a lot of chance because Simon was playing actually better than me in paddle. So if you do beat him, let me know. But I just hope you have a good match. Vicky, it's been lovely. Thank you very much. Thank You've been you. very upfront and I very much enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Upfront with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly.